Please stand for the offertory prayer. Let us pray. Indeed, Jesus paid it all. What wonderful grace. Now we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Today, in obedience to that command, but we don't come here just simply to obey a command. Indeed, it should be our honor and our privilege to come here and fellowship in the highest form that is coming together to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on the cross in this very special way. We are the royal family of God, united. And as we partake of this ritual, we do it individually as royal priests and also together as the body of Christ. All of us are going to be focusing on one person, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, during this time. The Lord's Supper has actually more than one name, or it's called by these different names. First of all, we have the Eucharist, that's E-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T-I-A, and what it means... Um, Okay. Well, that's new. I'll try it again. Let's go to. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the Eucharist is really made up of two words. The EU in the Greek in front of a word means go good. And the charistia means thankfulness. Sometimes it means chara, uh, C-H-A-R-A, means joy. Charistia uh, means a thankfulness. So we come in order to have a sense of gratitude. We think back on the singular significant event of all time. And that's what we're focusing on when Jesus Christ went to the cross for our sins. It's also known as the Lord's Supper. That's known as Kyrikon Dipnon. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. This is a meal synonymous with the Lord's table. It was close to 1,500 years before our Lord partook of this particular supper that they instituted the Passover. And for nearly 1,500 years, that was looking forward to the cross, and everything that they did in the Passover was actually a preview in symbol towards what Christ would do in reality. Everything changed that night because the next day he was going to pay for our salvation on the cross. And now we look back, and the ritual that we partake of is the bread and the cup. The last reference to this is called a communion. Sometimes we call it communion, Lord's Supper, or Eucharist. And it's a festival in common. That's koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-I-N-I-A. It means fellowship. So we're fellowshipping together in a very joyful 
thankful mood as we focus upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes they call the Eucharist a time of blessing. In the Greek, the word blessing is eulogeo. Eu again means good. Logeo means word. When it's referencing man, it's referring to blessing. When it's referencing God, that same word is referring to praise. And all these are terms that we use for what we're going to partake of this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, you could dissect that verse and you could spend a long time as to what all that means. There is no one in the entire universe like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is unlike the other two members of the Godhead because he also has a human body, a resurrected body. And, of course, he's unlike every other person because he is both God and man. So when we're partaking of this, we're thinking of the singular event and the person that created all things, and it was for all things were created for him. That's the tone we should have this morning. We do this in solemnity, thinking of the reverence that should be accorded such a ritual when we're thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 says, is this not the cup of blessing which we bless, a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? So the bread speaks of Christ's humanity, his body. It was absolutely perfect. The Bible has a lot to say about bread, especially referencing Jesus Christ. We just recently studied John chapter 6 where Jesus Christ said he is the living bread that came down out of heaven and he was even born in Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. It is the bread that symbolizes his perfect humanity. It is unleavened. Leaven always speaks of sin in the Bible. So this is referencing his perfect body. Had Christ sinned one time, it would have disqualified him to be our Savior on the cross. Even one mental attitude sin would have squashed the deal. So we think of that as we partake of the bread because there is, it, it's absolutely unique. Of course, the cup represents the work of Christ on the cross. Sometimes you'll see in like verse 16 we have on the board, it talks about, is this not the cup of blessing? By the way, that blessing, eulogio, which we bless, same word, a sharing in the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ isn't referring to the physical blood. It's, it's a symbolic 
of Christ's death on the cross, but not his physical death. It is referencing his spiritual death. For that is what the payment was for our sins, his spiritual death. He was separated from God the Father during that three hours that the earth was darkened and he would scream over and over again, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Of course, he knew why he was forsaken because he became sin on our behalf. And God cannot do anything except judge sin. So he took our judgment on the cross. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start with verse 8. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8. And if you have a pen handy, I'm going to ask you to underline a few things. If you don't have a pen, there should be one in the back of the seat in front of you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin... Thou hast not desired for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. And they were offered over and over and over again. They were a preview of the true Lamb of God that would come and take away the sin of the world. Verse 9, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will, He takes away the first, this is talking about the Mosaic law, in order to establish the second, which is the new covenant. Verse 10, by this, by this will we have been sanctified. I want you to underline that. That is a perfect passive participle, which simply means that That action was accomplished in the past, the moment that we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the results go on forever and ever. In its passive voice, we receive it. We don't work for it. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, and here, underline this for sure, once for all, one time, no more sacrifices needed over and over again, the animal sacrifice, because the sacrifice came and took care of it. Verse 11, And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the sacrifices which can never take away sins. The only thing that the sacrifices did essentially was put a lid on the sins to put it on hold, cover the sins until Christ would come and remove the penalty of sin. Verse 12, but he offered one sacrifice, underline that, one sacrifice for sins for 
all time. You want to underline that? And sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because his work is accomplished. He's taking care of our sin problem. And when it says one time for all, it means you can't do anything to sacrifice to forgive sin. This ritual of the Lord's Supper that we're going to partake of today does not forgive sin. It doesn't make you more spiritual. You can't do anything, any kind of sacrifice, since Christ has offered the sacrifice. One time, and it's a done deal. Now go down to verse 18. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, talking about sins, write that in your margin because that's what he's talking about, sins, there is no longer any offering for sin of any kind. Now I ask you, beloved, is that something to be thankful for? We should have that Eucharistia. We should have that in spades now as we partake of this. I think it's interesting that we have to have food, we have to have food and water, or in the case what the Bible is talking about, bread and wine. And this is what Jesus came so that we can have what we need. Anybody can eat. Anybody can drink. And we have the high honor as we partake of these elements, the cup and the bread. When we eat of that bread, we are making a public display that we are placing our faith in Jesus Christ in Him only as our Savior and for eternal life. This is a public display that we're able to do. You don't have to be a member of Country Bible Church in order to take of this because if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are already qualified. You're part of the body of Christ. However, there is something that we have to make sure uh, that we are going to partake of this ritual in the right way, and that is making sure that we're filled with the Spirit. In a moment, I'm going to uh, give a time for you to acknowledge any unconfessed sins to God, which ensures a, fit, a filling of the Holy Spirit. But we are to think about the Lord Jesus Christ during this time. We can concentrate on His love. Can you imagine the love it took for the Creator of the universe to leave the splendor and glory of heaven and step down to be a man lower than the angels and to be punched to be tortured, to be scorned, to be spit on, to have nails driven through his hands and feet and undergo the excruciating pain of the cross. This was the one that created everything and it was all for him. What kind of love is that? Concentrate on that. Think about justice. God's justice is absolutely fair and just. Today, universalism pervades much of people's thinking, which they think, well, God is a good old, good old softy. He's going to allow everybody into heaven, no matter whether you accept the free gift offer of salvation, or it doesn't matter what you believe. God is just, and to demonstrate it to the entire universe, Jesus Christ became our substitute in order to satisfy 
the justice of God. We also have the righteousness of God. God is right. He is always right. This world started when he created it with the first man and woman as righteousness pervading. And when they fell, since that time, well, all you have to do is look at the paper or look around you can see what happened. But the good news is that Jesus Christ is coming back and there will be righteous, righteousness again that's going to cover the earth as the oceans cover the ocean bed because of who and what Jesus Christ is. The Bible says that He holds all things together by the power of His Word. If Jesus Christ stopped holding all things together, <laughs> chaos. I think the whole universe, the atoms, everything would, would just go asunder. Think of these things as we partake, partake of this ritual. When I used to play football, especially in high school, we always would have a prayer before we went out on the field. It was the Lord's Prayer. And unfortunately, no one was paying any attention to what they were saying. It was just a ritual without reality. We got through it as fast as we could so we could hit the field. When I was a little boy, I used to say, Now I lay me down to sleep. And you all know the rest of it. That was my prayer every night. I did the, I did the deal. I did the ritual. But it meant absolutely nothing to me. This can be meaningful to you if you will concentrate on these things. And now we'll have a moment of silent prayer to prepare us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can focus upon the humanity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his body for us. We pray that you will flood our souls with these doctrines as we partake of the bread. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It is our custom to retain the bread until all have been served. He was wounded for our iniquities. He was bruised for our uh, transgressions. The iniquity of us was upon him, and by his stripe we are healed. On that occasion, our Lord took the bread. He broke it. He blessed it and said, This is my body that is given to you. Take and, drink and eat thereof. Again, Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us to focus on our Lord's work on the cross. He did what we could never do. We can never imagine what He has done for us. It will take us all eternity. But we pray that you will help us to focus on it as we partake of the cup. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It is our custom to retain the cup until all have been served.
All we like sheep have gone astray, each one his own way. And he, God the Father, has laid upon him, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. God demonstrated his love towards us, and yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died as a substitute for us. On that same occasion, our Lord took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink thereof. We will stand and sing hymn number 258. We'll sing it softly on the third verse, crescendo on the last verse. Let us stand as we sing. Okay. We are in the book of Joshua, even though you might not be able to tell it from the last three Sundays. We were ended in Joshua chapter 10, where Joshua and the Israelites... We're going around just raking havoc against the Canaanites. These were the uh, pagan unbelievers that had become extremely wicked. And it was God's, not only His desire, but His command to wipe them out, which is what they were doing, and they would go from city to city. And this gave me the idea that we can make this very relevant to us because they were bringing down satanic fortresses in the form of city-states full of unbelievers who would have their head on a pike if they had the chance. We also are in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in order to illustrate this and see the comparisons. So this is where we're going now. If you'll turn in your Bible or you can look up here on the notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. So we're making a comparison of the battle that we do today. Um, nobody's, uh, Charlie's not here. Uh, can you take care of that, Garth? I think it's right there on the chair. Last time it didn't come on. See if it's, is it coming on this time? Okay, well... If it doesn't come up, y'all might have to do a little craning of your neck a little bit. Come up? Okay. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 gives us the comparison. For we are in the midst of an angelic conflict, and we do spiritual battle. How often? Every single day. I would say in all your waking hours, and sometimes I wonder if I'm not doing battle in my sleep. I wake up and I look at the covers, and it looks like there is certainly a battle going on. So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For we walk in the flesh, that means in our human bodies. We do not war, that means engage in spiritual conflict according to the flesh. flesh. That would be human abilities or according to our old sin nature, which we studied as an area of strength that produces human good, area of weakness that produces sin. We don't wage war in a physical sense against spiritual rulers and principalities. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh. That means physical or mental abilities. Very important because a lot of people get confused. They think they're going to go out and do great things for God and they get enrolled in something or they join this or they start participating in something. And if you are void of the spiritual dynamics of the church age, you might be making a lot of bluster, but it's like a tempest in a teapot. It's not doing anything. 
And so we have to, uh, uh, our weapons are not of the flesh, but it says, but divinely powerful. And the Greek words there actually mean divine dynamite. Dynamite is pretty powerful stuff. When you add the divine to it, you really got some power. For the destruction of fortresses, which are satanic systems of thought. So you have to choose. Are you going to use your own devices, your own cunning? Are you going to connive and manipulate in order to uh, try to take care of your problems and woes? Or are you going to learn about these divinely powerful, this divine dynamite weapons that are at your disposal? They're there, but unfortunately most believers don't know they're there. Most believers don't even know that they're in a battle. It'd be like going to the Olympics and telling someone, uh, we're going to run around this track here, and they don't know it's a race. They think it's just a little jog. That's the way most mediocre Christians live their life. So the fact that we're in a battle should get your attention because if you don't know you're in a battle, if you don't know what these spiritual weapons are or how to use them, you'll become a casualty, and eventually your problems will eat you alive. That's why we have to have this spiritual knowledge as to how to fight a spiritual fight. Bringing down destruction, we're destruction of fortresses. And I spent one whole Sunday, I think there was 30, about 35 things on the list, and I was giving you things that are in our world all around us that could be considered satanic fortresses. I don't know. I thought maybe I'd made everybody mad by the time I was through, but I might have missed a person here or there. But they're there. And they're all inspired by satanic thought. And this is, this is, this is the first thing you understand about spiritual warfare is the battle goes on between your ears. The battle is for your soul and mind. And so you have to be able to understand how to bring down these fortresses. Because we're going to see in chapter 11 of Joshua that they're finally going to get smart. See, they were so, the Canaanites were so afraid of the Israelites when they were on the, when they had crossed the river. The river was at flood season. They think it might have been a mile wide. They didn't have any rafts, boats, anything. And news got out, they, draw, they crossed on dry ground, and these people freaked out. And they ran into their walled cities, and they thought, this is going to save us. Well, the first one the Israelites got to was by the, a city by the name of Jericho. I think that rings a bell with most people, and you know what happened to the walls there. So they finally got smart, and they decided, well, we're going to attack the Israelites. We're going to come out from behind our walled cities in mass, and we're going to attack them. The reason I'm bringing that up is because if you're not destroying those fortresses, the fortresses are going to destroy you. There's no common ground. There's no neutral ground. We're in a battle. And if you don't get with it, then you will surely be consumed and become a casualty. Those two verses we've already gone over. So verse 5 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 is what we're going to focus on today. Plowing new ground, and look what it says. This is, this is great. Look at this. 
we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to obedience of Christ. You talk about a powerful verse. First of all, when it says we are destroying, it is the uh, present tense. That's really important. In fact, in your Bible, I want you to underline destroying and put P-T or P-R-E-S-T-E-N, whatever you want. If you put P-T there and you think it's pastor-teacher, you think, oh, we're destroying the pastor-teacher. No, we don't want that. This is present tense. This is a, a present active participle. Destroying. Speculation. What is speculation? It's, it's just imaginations. Anything that is not divine viewpoint, whereby you are thinking in terms of what the Bible has to say about any given thought, then it's imagination. It's speculation. And you hear this all the time. If you go out on the street or you just, you're at a party, you don't know a lot of people, just start, and start talking about God. Start talking about the spiritual life. Start talking about Jesus Christ and they'll start, you'll, you'll make an impact. They'll remember you. But what you're going to do is you're going to start hearing all kinds of weirdo speculations and imaginations because that's all that most people have. They don't know what the Bible says, so they just discounted it or said, well, it doesn't really matter. It's just written by a bunch of old men back there, and it's, maybe it's a guideline, but you really can't take it literally. So that's the speculations and imaginations, things that people conjure up that are contrary to the Word of God. It says, we are destroying speculations, and it says, in every lofty thing. Lofty thing is really an arrogant viewpoint, and we just call it human viewpoint. Everybody that's human has what? A human viewpoint. And we have it. We're born with it. This is the way we think. We're wired to think with human viewpoint. However, I like to say human viewpoint stinketh. The reason it stinketh is because it's contrary to the way the God would have us think. And what the battle rages is for your mind, for your soul. And all of these speculations and imaginations are trying to get into your mind and convince you that this imagination, these speculations are correct and you can go with that. That's where the battle is. And so this says in verse 5, it's saying we can destroy these things. In fact, it's in the present tense. We're in the process of destroying these imaginations, these arrogant human viewpoint ideas. What we want to replace it with is divine viewpoint. Where does divine viewpoint come from? Right here. The hard part is getting this into here and keeping it there because we're constantly bombarded with human viewpoint and imaginations and speculations, these lofty things, constantly are bombarding us. So these speculations and lofty things, these human viewpoints, raised up. Now the raised up there is in the present tense also. See, we're continuing to destroy these things and the raising up, present active uh, participle, and they keep coming. 
So you, you can't have a one big battle and think, I got it. No more human viewpoints going to get into my soul. It's not even going to, it, it doesn't even have a chance because I've got that one nailed. Well, as soon as you think that, what happens? They come up with another one. Every, it's just like nailing jello to the wall. Have you ever tried that? Try it with a sledgehammer. That's about how successful you can be on your own if you think, well, I've got this one wired. Not hardly. So it continues to do that. Against what? Look at this. The knowledge of God. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says this is the mind of Christ. This is God's knowledge that He wants us to think everything according to this book. And that's what the speculations are trying to do. They're going against the knowledge that you have of God. And what is that knowledge? What does the BD stand for? Everybody say it. I don't hear it. All right, that's good. Y'all are up and going. Bible doctrine. That's what the war is against. And if you, by the way, if you don't have any, or you only have very little Bible doctrine, it's a very sharp battle. And the bad news is you're not on the winning side. And look at this. And we are taking... What is that so? Again, present active participle. We're destroying present tense. They keep rising. And then it says, we keep taking something. This is important. We've got to take something in order to be able to keep destroying because they keep raising. They, the demons, say, satanic thought and so forth. And we are taking every, what? What does it say? Thought. Underline that in your Bible. Thought. That's what it's all about. We're taking how many thoughts? Every thought captive to, to the obedience of Christ. That means to the authority of Christ. Now, that's where we want to be. Is that where we are? Is that where you are? I don't want you to say because I already know. It's not. It's not where any of us are, but that's our goal. That's where we want to be, is where we can keep destroying all of these, these uh, speculations, lofty things. They keep rising, but we keep taking in uh, every thought captive to Christ. Here's another way to put it. The first part of 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that rises up against the Bible of knowledge. We are able to do this and see the arrows talking about the first part of that verse and look at the only. I would have made it bigger, but I, I didn't. Just only. The only way that we're able to do this is if we are doing what follows in that verse and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You got that? They're going to keep raising these speculations. They're, going to, they're battling for your mind. They're battling for, battling for your soul. It comes from the radio. It comes from the TV. It comes from your well-meaning friends. It comes from your enemies. It comes from everywhere you go. They're rising up things that are contrary to the Word. And you have to make decisions. What are you going to do? Well, I better make them according to the Word and use divine viewpoint because then I have the... Divine dynamite weapons to destroy all of these speculations. So, if you're going to be able to do the top... In fact, in your Bibles, where it says, against the knowledge of God, I want you to separate that somehow. Make a bracket, draw a line, do something. It's okay to draw in your Bible. It's not sacrilege. You can make arrows, smiley faces, 
anything you want to that's going to help you remember and to destroy these satanic fortresses. I want you to see that this is the top part is conditional upon the second part, the bottom part. Are you all ready for the next thing? The bottom part is also conditional. It's conditioned upon this. It is guaranteed this is not happening. It's talking about this part here is not happening. See the arrow? If this isn't happening. You see that? I've reduced myself to pictures now. I think, how can I say it another way? Well, can you all see? I'll get over here. Pictures. See that? This is what we want to be doing is destroying these. But we can't do this unless we are doing this, taking every thought captive. This means when we are taking every thought captive means we're thinking divine viewpoint. We're using Bible doctrine. We're using these biblical principles in order to solve our problems. We're applying them to these things. And what I'm saying, this isn't going to happen if this down here isn't happening. See? Just make sure this doesn't happen. <laughs> Pictures again. I don't know how many people that are here that this is happening to, but a group this big, there's got to be one or two or a few maybe. And if this is what's happening, you're hearing the words. Uh, have you ever been tired or something and, and you're, you're trying to read something? I've, I've, I said, I'm going to finish reading something. Let's say it's a letter. It's a pretty long letter. And I'm going to finish this before I go to bed. It's 1 o'clock in the morning, but that was my goal to read it. So I start out and I read a paragraph. I start to go to the second paragraph. I thought, what did that say? I go back in and, and I read it. Really? trying to remember what it was. And I go to the second one. I go about one line in the second hour, and it dawns on me, I still don't have the first. And you go back like that, see. Well, that's why repetition is good. We're, in, uh, we're studying getting the gospel right on Tuesdays and Thursdays now. And I'm guilty, I confess, of not repeating as much as I should. Now, a lot of you would say, Thank you for that. Because people, we have this idea. Well, I've heard that. I've got that. Let's move on. You know, they have that attitude. And then they go out and somebody will ask them or they'll try to say to someone, tell them what they learned at Bible class. And you know what they sound like? Well, it's about... Can you call a preacher? You know, it's just gone. How you know if you really know something is if you can explain it to someone else. And if you've got it down to where you can explain it in your own words, in detail to someone else, then you've got it. See, just understanding it yourself, which a lot of people think, when I understand it, I've got it. But all, you've just taken the first step. The next step is hear it again and again. I do this to the young people sometimes. I've said, I'm going to do this until you can't stand it. And when you can't stand it, guess what? You're going to remember it. But I'm so excited about the next thing that I've learned, the next lesson that I want to go to, I'm prone to just 
going on with it, thinking that you have it. But then I talk to you later, and I understand they don't have a clue. And I have to do over it again. Not all of you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just giving the facts. Some people... So you can be like this and not even know it. It's not like, well, I've got to come to church. My parents make me come to church. Or I'm, I'm here on a trade-out. Or whatever it is. If you're not zeroed in, if you're not concentrating, you're not thinking, this is you. You're hearing the words. But if your mind is not concentrated on it, you know what you're going to go away with? Thinking, thinking. Human viewpoint. That is our enemy. The only way to change that is for this here. Is for this to go here. You can put a cork over here if it helps. Well, I just began to fight, but you know what it's like on Communion Sunday sometimes. Uh, we're not able to. We're always battling the clock. But you have enough to think about, don't you? You need to be able to recognize when you're thinking divine viewpoint. You need to know the remedy for that because you're in carnality. And the way we remedy that is simply acknowledge that sin, whatever it may be. Usually it's worry. I, worry is going to attack probably 99% of us before this day is over. And you have to understand how to neutralize that. The great thing about what we just had is that you can control your thinking. A lot of people, well, I can't help it. It just, you know, just, just popped in my mind. Well, it's true. Things will pop in your mind. Have you ever been just, you know, you're just going around, going your way, and all of a sudden, wham, some nasty thought hits you right in the brain. Or some kind of jealousy. Or, you know, you're not looking at, you're not trying to get this. The only thing you know, all of a sudden, wham, where did that come from? Well, it came from your old sin nature. What do you do with it? That's the issue. Are you going to, sometimes, a lot of times, it's worry. You know, we all have things that we really rather just do away with, wish it wasn't there. And sometimes when you're having a good time, uh uh-oh, here comes Mr. Party Pooper, worry. We have to understand how to deal with these. And the way we do it to get rid of that stinking thinking is to bring down these satanic systems of thought with weapons that are divinely powerful And it's all spiritual. And we have the ability to do that. That's what those three verses are saying. You can do that. You can can choose to focus on your problem and have a pity party and invite everyone if you want to. Or you can decide to focus on the solution, which is the Almighty God who loves you, is all-powerful and handed to you on a silver platter divinely powerful weapons that you can destroy all of the speculation and idiocy. But present participle, present. If you think that you can just rest for a while, you're like a camel, you drink a whole lot of water and you've got a big hump, and if you think that you can come to church and get your hump full of doctrine and then go without doctrine for a month, 
Come back and let me know how that works out for you. I'd like everyone now, please, to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I don't know everyone here. There may be someone here who hasn't made the most important decision of their life. You may be afraid of what's going to happen to you after this life is over. The good news, the best news you'll ever hear is that eternal life is free. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. And now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. And in that moment that you put your faith alone in Jesus Christ, you are born again. You become a royal family member of God. The Holy Spirit will help you understand the full realm of doctrine. And you can live in an abundant life that you never dreamed, free from worry and fear, simply by acknowledging in your own soul right now that you're trusting Christ and Christ alone and not in your own work. And you'll be born again. Father, we thank You for this time You've given us to fellowship in Your Word and the high honor to have the Lord's Supper this morning. We pray that You will help us to focus and meditate upon these things. For we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.